0: Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter, and we're here taping this just a few days from the Super Bowl. So what we're going to do here is we're going to reminisce. We're going to turn back the clock a little bit and remember the 2007 and 11 Super Bowl. We're going to go over it all with Matthias Kiwanuka former Giants linebacker, defensive end, defensive player, whatever you want to call him. Big part of the second team was also on the first team as well, ended the season on injured reserve. But. He'll tell us some good stories. Uh, I I, I know you'll enjoy it. But first, let's talk about these current Giants. Let's get a couple things out of the way, right? There's a lot of talk around about going after Deshaun Watson, not just from the Giants' perspective, more more just from a league-wide perspective. He wants out. The Texans don't really want to get rid of him. The question is, who would go after him? Who can get him? Blah, blah, blah. Let's get this out of the way real quick. The Giants are not getting Deshaun Watson. They're not trading for Deshaun Watson. It doesn't make sense for them. And I talk to people around the league, inside the organization. I'm telling you, Deshaun Deshaun Watson, they're not going in that direction. That's not where this team is headed. This team is is, is going forward right now with Daniel Jones. He's their guy. Daniel Jones is their guy. And look, you want to say, well, Deshaun Watson's a better player. He's proven. We know this. Deshaun Watson's a great, great, great player that the Houston Texans, by the way, don't want to trade. If you get him, he is uber expensive. So teams like the Jets, teams like the Dolphins, who have the second and third pick in the draft, huge assets, plus a ton of draft picks, they have some of the pieces that can get him. The Dolphins also have the team sort of built around him where they then don't have to do a total rebuild. The Giants are in the middle of a rebuild. You want to look at it realistically, that's where they are. I mean, they're nowhere near talent-wise. We went over this last week, What, it, where they need to be in order to be a Super Bowl contender. They're miles from that right now, years from now, at least two, in my opinion. So they're not going to break the break the bank for the guy, and then how do they fill in the pieces around him? What's the defense going to look like? What's the protection and weapons going to look like? like? It's not even realistic for this team. They don't have multiple first-round picks. They don't have an overload of, of draft capital. They have the 11th pick too. So right there, you can basically take the Giants first round pick this year and first round pick next year. 11 this year and then whatever it is next year, future first round pick. That alone pretty much equals the first round pick this year alone for the Dolphins and Jets. So how are the Giants going to compete with teams like that in, in regards to if, and it's a big if, I still, if I had a bet, I would still bet Deshaun Watson does not get traded and he ends up back in Houston. We'll see how much hardball he really wants to play when it comes to if he's willing to take money out of his pocket in order to push for a move. Okay? We'll see. But so the Giants, look, this isn't just my opinion anymore. This is confirmed. The Giants are not going to be in on Deshaun Watson or any quarterback. Daniel Jones is their guy. Book that. As far as... Internally, look, they're looking for an offensive line coach. We know that, right? Uh, ben Wilkerson, he's going to be one of the guys that's interviewed. Uh, Mike Devlin, who is the offensive line coach for the Texans, he's going to be interviewed to some other candidates there. The Giants are looking to, I believe, get an experienced coach. So I i doubt it'll be Wilkerson. Uh, probably a guy that has a connection to Joe Judge as well. So look out for that. but. That, that's sort of been his M.O. with hiring people so far. And in regards to the offense in general, Jason Garrett is going to stay. Again, I talked to people around the league. I talked to people inside the organization. Jason Garrett is going to be back this year. He's going to be the Giants offensive coordinator. Now, it's possible. We'll see what kind of changes are made internally. I think that's probably the likely solution at this point to fixing the offense. Uh, maybe people internally. Get, getting more responsibility offensively. Their, their role's kind of changing a little bit. So look out for that. And by that, I mean uh, guys like uh, Jerry Shaplinsky, the quarterback coach. Uh, I think Joe Judge looked to him and Freddie Kitchens when they were possibly short uh, at offensive line coach because of COVID. Uh, Guge, who's not coming back. Dave DeGugielmo is not coming back. Uh, when he had COVID, those were the two guys that stepped up. And Jerry Szaplinski is a guy who Joe Judge obviously knows from New England, trust implicitly, think he could possibly add responsibilities. Freddie Kitchens, a guy Joe Judge knows well, uh, obviously was an offensive coordinator, head coach with the Browns. He could also add more responsibility, have more input, maybe into game planning, uh, Maybe into coaching other parts of the offense. So, Jason Garrett, and I know a lot of people did not like the way it went down this year. And I heard, look, there was times where there was tension there, and it wasn't so. And Joe Judge, let's let's not be not beat around the bush here. Joe Judge is a very hands-on coach. That's kind of was Mark Colombo's uh, complaint that on the offensive line and kind of why it blew up there. And this is why Joe Judge likes to have his own guys. They have to know that he's going to be hard on them. He's going to be hands-on. He's going to be looking over their shoulder. Like, that's how they're going to operate. That's how they think, and they that this will be the best operation. And so there was some tension between Joe Judge and Jason Garrett. I don't think anybody's going to deny that. And part of that is because the offense wasn't good. They weren't producing. But Garrett will be back. One of the benefits of that is, remember, They have a quarterback who already has been through two systems in two years and the offensive players in general. You know, to have a little stability over there could serve a purpose. So in order to make that change, the situation had to be absolutely perfect. And that's not what happened here. So Jason Garrett returns. He will be the offensive coordinator in 2021 uh, with potentially other people internally having more responsibility on offense in hope that the results are better because the Giants, I don't know where they finished. Did they finish 30th, 31st? I think in points they finished 31st. I think offensively, in terms of efficiency, I think they were actually 30th. I don't think they were actually 31st. But anyway, no matter how you cut that, it's not good. 30th, 31st, they both stink. So the offense wasn't good. And Jason Garrett's back. Hopefully year two is more successful with help. From other people, Uh, expect Joe Judge, obviously, to be heavily involved there as well, just like he is at pretty much every position. And the other thing I wanted to touch on before we move on to Super Bowl talk is Jeremy Pruitt. He's the new coach, defensive coach that was hired. Obviously, he has Alabama roots, so Joe Judge knows him from there. Like I said, you want to look at who the Giants are hiring to this coaching staff? Look if there's connections to Joe Judge, that he could have that trust in those guys that know how, you know, they're going to operate similar in a way, coaching-wise, I'm talking. You have to hold their coaches accountable, same way you hold the players, because if the coaches don't know what they're talking about, then the the players won't know what they're talking about. So Jeremy Pruitt, a guy that Joe Judge, again, trusts, knows well, coached in somewhat of a similar system from what I understand throughout his career, so it's similar enough where he'll, he'll know what the Giants are trying to do defensively. He'll fill a role, it's not exactly title jet, but it'll be similar to what Brett Bielma did. Brett Bielma, I believe, was outside linebacker slash senior defensive assistant. So Pruitt's going to be like a senior defensive assistant in a way. I'm not sure specifically if he's going to be involved with the outside linebackers. He's almost like a secondary defensive coordinator. He's going to float around, coach a bunch of positions. He's he, he's coached defensive backs, cornerbacks in the past, so he knows a lot about that. So the Giants aren't just going to pigeonhole him in outside linebackers no he's gonna help uh on a grander scale than that and like I said also probably help scheme wise uh be a a voice a sounding board for Patrick Graham on the defensive side of the ball so almost like a secondary defensive coordinator so that's where the Giants stand right now we'll talk about draft coming up next week I'll have Mel Kuiper Jr. I believe On to talk about the draft, the number 11 pick in particular uh, for the Giants. So look out for that. That'll be like, we'll turn the page towards next season in the draft. We'll have a a draft episode. Then we'll follow that up with some sort of free agent episode. And we'll be moving. We'll be zooming. We'll be on our way. The offseason where things can get fun here for the Giants. And really the NFL in general. It's going to be a crazy offseason. I don't think anybody really knows how it's going to unfold and what the what the guidelines are really. It, it, this is going to be an off season like no other. There are some factors with the covid, the the salary cap being all over the place, no one really even knowing what that is right now, which makes plans kind of impossible. So if anyone tells you they know for certain what a team is going to do, I find that hard to believe. Because they don't know how much money they have. They don't know how much money they're going to have to spend. They don't know if they're going to have to shed contracts, how that's going to work. That's still up in the air. So we'll get to that in a couple weeks, I promise. In the meantime, Let's talk about the Giants' last two Super Bowls. On to the next one.
1: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight... S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
0: All right, it's Super Bowl week, so we have to talk Super Bowls. And who better to bring in than Matthias Kiwanuka, who Mm -hmm. has rings from the 2007 and eleven season. So he's not one of these guys that was, you know, made one of the two super bowls. No, he was on there for both of them. So how's it going, Matthias? How's everything with you?
2: It's good. Thanks for the introduction. I mean, more I also got injuries from both of those years too. So I got ah, I got
0: tomato tomato. Nobody needs to know nobody needs to know <laughs> that you were on injury reserve for the first one, do they?
2: <laughs> no, no, we'll keep that between us. Do you, have a,
0: do you have the ring? Do you have the ring? I do I exactly. Do so, both. what do you mean? What are you talking about? There's nothing. <laughs> you earned it that. for sure. But you, that, that that that's actually interesting now because does does the second one mean that? Like, is, is that one much more special to you? Like, is the first one have the same meaning to you? Being that I think would you go on injury reserve? You got injured in somewhere like around mid season, right? And this was like
2: yeah, you were a young started- guy at that
0: point. It was sec- first or second year, I think, right?
2: It was my second year. I started the first 10 games. It was the first year I was playing linebacker, and uh, we were in Detroit. So I think that was week 10, somewhere around there. Somewhere, Yeah, somewhere around half the halfway point. But to answer your question, yes, um, the second one does mean more, I think, for a lot of reasons. One, I was there physically out on the field. Um, two, I was playing in Indianapolis where I grew up. So, like, getting to go back to the hometown and play yeah. in front of those like that and was great. Jerome
0: Bettis come home to Detroit and win your Super Bowl in you know, your hometown story. I gotcha. Yeah,
2: you know, I, I wore my uh, Cathedral High School T-shirt out for pregame, and, <laughs> and it was it was it was a great experience uh, football wise, and it was towards the latter end of my career, and um, you know, it was just. It was something that was really special, unique to be able to go through that process, knowing what was coming ahead, and, and having an understanding of of what it takes to get there, and watching all those guys come together and and believe. There were only a few of us left by that point, and they were they were you know trying to gather as much information from us as they possibly could, and they really believed in in what we were telling them, which was you know the basically the same same way we won the first one. All
0: right, I believe. Uh, I think. Prince once told me or a bunch of people told me like Eli gave a speech before you left right
2: mm-hmm.
0: something of the sort uh, and he he stood up there and say you know uh, you tell me what do, what do you do you remember that do you remember anything from that and it was like his message to you guys before you went down
2: there I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to paraphrase, but I mean, he only gave like maybe three or four speeches while I was there. So it's, (laughs) it's hard to forget. I was there for nine years. We talked like he's a, he's a good guy to like to talk to and have conversations with and he's humble. He's down to earth and all that kind of stuff. But, but getting up and, and talking in front of the group, that just, that just wasn't his thing. You know, he, he'd more sit down at lunch and have a group of people and, and um and get the communication done that way. But so now I, I don't remember specifically what he was talking about, but I'm pretty sure everybody was paying attention. I'm sure I was at the time, but you know, I got hit in the head a lot. So um.
0: I, I I mean, I think I'm paraphrasing also and I think with the message, it was just sort of like look, we're going down there for you know to do so, to do to get something done, to get something accomplished. Yeah. Just make sure you handle what you are and then we will the the fun you'll be able to have after it. We'll make up for the fun that maybe you don't get to have in the next couple of days or whatever. Some something along those lines. Real quick, if I if I remember right, was the uh, was the gist of it. So, and like you said, Eli did not stand up very often, give many speeches, which is why I think it stood out to a couple of the young guys.
2: So. I, I do remember there being a sentiment around the room where um, you know some people were were more focused on the hoopla, you know, as opposed to to just getting everything done, getting in the training room early, staying late, watching all the film. I, I do remember that, you know, cause the stories that were told, you know, prior to us getting the playoffs and all this and that, like, you know, the guys who had been there for maybe one or two years, the stories they heard were all the, the glamorous stories, you know, like we were, right. doing, we were doing that. This is what happened afterwards, but they don't, they don't realize, you know, that, that first one, we started off 0-2 and, and, um, you know, oh,
0: you got crushed too, right? Defensively. Is it, is you, that
2: like- you want you want to hear a story? When, when we finished that season, my, my rookie year, the, almost the entire coaching staff believed that they were going to be fired. They thought they were going to let be let go. And we lined up, um, all the coaches lined up and and shook hands and and were just saying, you know, thank you for everything, you know, good luck. And and to me, like as a young guy, I just thought that was just it's like how walking
0: we- off the plank kind of deal. That's what it sounds like, man.
2: Well, at first, that's what I thought. I was like, you know, I, no at first I thought, you know, this is just how every season in the NFL ends. You know, there's a, <laughs> right. a turnover. But then, you know, after a couple of years went by, I looked back and I was like, oh, they thought they were out of here, you know? And, <laughs> and, you know, lo and behold, we came back, Everybody – not everybody, but, I mean, majority of the staff came back and we wanted that next year, and careers were made off of that. I mean, guys are still coaching in high positions because of what they did during that year. So, um, you know, definitely very proud to be part of both of those teams. But the first one sticks out for different reasons.
0: Yeah. So, where, where were you for the first Super Bowl? You said you weren't on the field. So, where were you? How, what was that like? And, and it get, Oh, you know, I, I was there.
2: Team and I was there on the sidelines with uh, Jeremy Shockey and – um who else was it? Derek Ward. So Jeremy Shockey, Derek Ward, and I all had the same uh ankle injury. Uh, you know, yeah. fibula. and we were you uh, fly
0: down separately from the team also?
2: Yes, yes. And that that's uh because that,
0: that's like the famous thing with Shockey, right? That he didn't get yeah. to travel with the team, but it didn't that wasn't just him. So I guess <laughs> that's the funny part, I, I guess, know. about it in retrospect, it wasn't huh?
2: It. it was it wasn't, and um you know, they, they did try to make things right initially. I mean, we definitely didn't fly down with the team and um, that sticks out because you don't realize how many guys on these NFL teams have children under the age of five. I mean, that plane was a zoo. I didn't, (laughs) I got two kids that are um, six and eight right now. So I get it now. I understand. And I can tune it out. But back then when I was a young guy and I thought I was going down to party and all this and that, and I saw all the kids on there, I was like, Whoa. But That's yeah, like your so, worst
0: nightmare. You know, like when you get on a plane <laughs> and you got the crying kid next to you and be, the kid behind you kicking your seat. Like, yeah, that's like yeah. when you, you get the bad lottery ticket. You just, you know, you just, you, I gotta, that, that's I gotta, a tough gotta, plane ride, man.
2: <laughs> I got to be careful now. Some of these kids are old enough to kick my butt. They're big enough. <laughs> that, was, that was a long time ago. So uh, that yeah, is not. true there was there were there were some issues with that and then um you know they they had finally put us in the team hotel we there there were some some uh complications some some things so i looking back on it i understand the reasoning behind it but you got to remember like at that point like this is that was the trip that was going to make some people's careers you know like yeah we were injured but we still wanted to feel like we're part of it and it's it's just part of the the culture in the NFL to you know to isolate the guys who are injured for a number of reasons, in my opinion. But um, you know you just you, you tend to feel a little bit marginalized and and unappreciated, you know, when you're when you're not out there. And some of that is just psychological. Some of that has right. nothing to do with what they're doing in in house. They could try and do everything the right way or everything that they wanted to do to help you out, but but like as a player, if you're not on the field, you're doing something wrong, whether right. you're not if you're not out there contributing, whether it's because of your performance or because of an injury, you're just in your mind or in my mind. I was I was doing something wrong, something wasn't right, and I just wanted to correct it. So, you know, going back, having that opportunity to to be out there in the in the second one, I mean, that's a gift that doesn't always come around. And I had to thank all those guys who put in all that time and that effort. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that that must have been like a totally different experience and just like sort of like a weight off your chest, you know, like, Hey, I missed the other one. I thank God. I didn't get, you know, I got, I got that second opportunity, which to be frank, I mean, a lot of guys go through the career. They have zero opportunities, right? I mean, so guys, we're able to make the playoffs. You, you, you
2: that's and that was like, nice. what was the point I was going to make. We had guys stand up and say, "Hey guys, like I've been playing in this league over a decade. I've never made it out of the first round of the playoffs." Like like you don't understand like how how crucial it is. Like, you know, we were
0: Did I, you understand like the M- Matthias Kiwanuka, like 22, 23 years old that first time? Did you understand that or did it still No.
2: Resonate? No. The <laughs> the first time, absolutely not. There's no way. There's no way to get that to, to have that understanding um, until you're a little bit later on in your career. You know, all those speeches. I remember Big Bob Whitfield giving a speech. I remember the second time Andrew Roll gave a speech. Like, you know, these are guys who were, you know, you know, a little bit older both times that we won. And uh, you could just see it. You could feel it and their voices and, you know, their inflection and everything like they they really meant it. And, you know, it wasn't until I got towards the end of my career where I where I realized how special it was, because it's not it's not about retiring from the NFL or not having, you know, another opportunity to be in the big game all the time. I think the thing that stays with you the most or with me is that, you know, I had a football season or some kind of sports season every year from the early 90s, you know, until 2015. So it's not, it's not, yeah, you miss the, the guys, you miss the locker room, you miss, you know, like a lot of the different aspects about it. But like, it's it's part of your identity you know that's a that's a big part of of who you are, so making that transition is is difficult and um you know when you're older in your career, I think everybody kind of starts to see the writing on the wall so having that kind of an opportunity late in your career man you cherish it you appreciate every moment of it taking pictures all that stuff you know um it's it's a special experience
0: the first one let's go let's go over the game the first one with you uh you're on the sideline that's a legendary uh Patriots team at that time, right? I mean, even today, I mean, they went undefeated for God's sakes, and and they they were stacked all over the place. How? What did you see from that? You know, your defensive front, you know, the, top, the front seven between the linebackers and and the uh, defensive line in that Super Bowl. What do what do you remember? Obviously, loaded group, right? You got Strahan, you got a, a young Tuck, you got O.C., you got uh, Antonio Pierce. Right, leading the linebacking group. I mean, that, that's a, a big time group. What What do you remember? And they played a huge game, obviously. Mm-hmm. What, what do you What do you remember from that?
2: So at that time, I'll spend the majority of the time in the linebacker meeting room. So my, you know, see
0: that's guy- the hard part with you. You always got to wonder when were you in the linebackers, when were you, in, when oh, were yeah, you with yeah. the defensive line? Like, <laughs> it depends on the year and the coach or whatever. Yeah, yeah, back yeah. and forth. Back
2: it was definitely back and forth. I just did um, Dave Deal's show uh, yesterday morning and we were talking about, you know, he played every position up front except for, um, oh, yeah. you know, and I was on the other side. I played every position. I started every position except for middle linebacker at some point during my career. <laughs> and, um, so I would go back and forth. You know, I'd be in the linebacker meeting room for the majority of the week. And then on pass rush days and, you know, third down days, I'd be in the, um, the D line meeting room. My routine was I would you know after everybody left, you did your workouts, you know the coaches go upstairs and they get the um the script for practice for the next day. I would go home and then I would come back in the evening to pick up that script for the linebacker, so I could go over that, you know prior to getting there in the morning because I had to split time in different meeting rooms. So it was there was a lot um, during that first run, what I do remember is um, the guys that I was you know playing beside and next to Reggie Torbor. Antonio Pierce and Kavika Mitchell. Kavika Mitchell came in, learned the defense within, I don't know, weeks, and and that was incredible to me.
0: Good player, uh, Kavika Pittman, by the way. Great player. Mitchell, sorry. Great player. Yeah, yeah. Very, sorry.
2: Yeah. He's a good player. He um he uh but he he had an understanding of of the defense and and what we were trying to do. He was on the same page with Antonio Pierce and Reddy Torbor and um they had good communication with a uh, you know, guy who's who's still doing it at a high level, Spagnolo.
0: Yeah. And for sure.
2: That sure. was that was my core group of guys that I was that I was, you know, lined up next to and in the meeting rooms with. But you know, every third down day I'd go down and sit in the, the defensive line meeting room and we'd you know, do all the drills and all that kind of stuff. I just remember, you know, how much You know fun we had but there was a lot of attention to detail you know there wasn't and it was it was organic it was it was stuff that we had been doing the entire year you know everybody was running to the ball during practice we were held we were holding each other accountable to run to the ball multiple times a day in practice and running to the ball man we had to see you straining i mean you got to see your your head's got to be back you got to be like really stretching to try to to run the ball down it had to be over i want to say like 30 yards at a time Otherwise you're getting fined and that's not something we started or that, you know,
0: that you would get fined like the yeah. eternal, like, a king, kangaroo court type deal.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We had, you had to plead your case and and everything. And who was <laughs> Who's the judge? It was, uh, I think some of the older, I think it was OC to be honest with you. I think maybe OC was one of the judges back then. Yeah, you, you gotta ask him. I can't, I can't remember who exactly, <laughs> but uh, a positive note to that, that fine money at the end of the year went to a charitable cause. So we, we did something productive with it, but Um, but, uh, but yeah, so those things were, you know, accountability and fun, you know, hold each other accountable, but go out there and have fun, enjoy doing it. Had we not made it all the way, um, we still would have enjoyed that year and we'd still be in contact as, as friends, um, the same way we are right now, because we just, we enjoyed what we did, man. We had fun.
0: Crazy to think about it. I mean, that, that quarterback is still playing, you know? (laughs) that <laughs> you guys went against both times really i mean i was just thinking that for a second like tom brady so he was like what in his like 60 years of starter, or whatever time dude's still mm-hmm. playing which is crazy yeah. I mean, think about the guys we just named all these guys are long retired this dude's still playing and making the super bowl this is but pretty the, the this dude,
2: he doesn't he crazy. doesn't get hit he doesn't I'm get sure. hit. you know uh, and that well, that's, he
0: did in that super bowl and both super did. bowls actually
2: he did, but I'm not, I'm not saying it like, Oh, he's lucky or he, it's by design. He doesn't get hit because he understands what the defenses are trying to do. And he knows how to get the ball away. You know, Drew Brees is one of those guys, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers. Those are one of those guys, but I think mm-hmm. combined, you know, they, or individually they all took or take more hits than, than Brady does. You know, we got to the super bowl and we put on a clip of all the quarterback sacks pressures and uh, knockdowns from that season. And as a mm-hmm on you know you're watching a specific quarterback and that those plays you know that that film gets a little longer a little longer a little longer each week as, you know more plays get added to added to it for whoever we're playing and we got to Brady and it was the shortest clip we had all year <laughs> where where did this guy get hit like where yeah. did he, I mean if you got up to use the that back-
0: team was loaded though I mean they were good everywhere that that 07 team that they had was really something offensively the 11 team was good too but I mean that 07 that team was really unbelievable off but just like everywhere top to bottom
2: absolutely. absolutely i mean there was they had few holes and w- which holes they did they filled very well effectively and you couldn't really um you, you couldn't anticipate you know who was going to make a mistake you had to force somebody into making a mistake in, in that in that game you know some games you know there's a guy you know there's there's a guy hey guys you know we're gonna watch this guy he's gonna give us the ball or he's gonna miss a right. call or, tip off the um the defense to to what it is they're doing. There weren't a whole there wasn't a whole lot of that. It was more about, hey, when the mistake gets made, you better be ready to capitalize on it. Like that was that was the mindset.
0: So all right. That was, that we, we went over the oh seven one a little bit. Now you get to 0, to eleven. Right. You guys, what were you seven and seven going into week sixteen, I think, right? So you won the final two, you got the Victor Cruz ninety nine yard touchdown or whatever. hmm Yeah. Uh,
2: it wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, did,
0: How surprised were you that that, you know, that, that, ta- that team was able to put it together? Like, did you, did, did you ever sense that that was even in the realm of possibilities throughout the, you know, as you're going along there?
2: You know, every year after we won that, that first one, um, there was that underlying mindset of until we are statistically eliminated, we still have an opportunity to win it. And we were able to get guys on that same page, I think. You know, once you get into a groove or once you start seeing individuals um, have tremendous success and, you you know, it becomes a little easier to see or for everybody to have that same vision. But nah, it really wasn't that difficult, you know, to get everybody on the same page and to, to sit around and everybody wanted to hear the stories. That's where we talked about the majority of the time after practice, before practice, when we weren't talking about, um, you know, what was going on that day, that week, it was, you know. You know, how did you guys win? Like, what did you guys do? The same questions you're asking me. That's those are the questions I fielded in the locker room, you know, for for years.
0: So well, we, you know that's what we do. That's my business. We just recycle questions and answer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or, you, or you ask the same question different ways until you get the answer that you want. That's exactly.
0: That. I just—it's like poking the bear. You take the little stick. And like <laughs>
2: Come on, let's go. My favorite—that's my favorite—is the. Wouldn't you say that? And it's like at the end of that, I don't even know what you're what you're about to say. But I'm just going to way that I want to. <laughs> don't you feel or don't you believe that No,
0: oh, yeah, That's called a loaded question. Absolutely. Let me
2: stop you right there. <laughs> Uh,
0: so okay you get to the playoffs take me through that playoff run I mean the the Green Bay game uh and then obviously the Super Bowl again you're facing the Patriots what what are you guys thinking at that point first first take me through the playoffs that San Francisco team was loaded too right I mean that was I think I think that was Eli's best game that I've ever seen him play
2: uh yeah yeah it's it's definitely up there um i think the the playoff run the thing that stands out for me um uh, jaquan williams there were there were a number of guys who were Jaquan asked williams to do some some incredible incredible things but i think he was a yeah, rookie wasn't he at the, in that year? I, I remember was he was he that young
0: i i think he was a rookie in that season yeah i mean i remember came, right he was definitely young at that point.
2: He was, he was a guy lining up in the box, covering the deep third. Like he, he could move. He was not a linebacker. He was not a strong. Oh, safety. He was
0: a little, little small, small, small linebacker.
2: Yeah, yeah. He was, he was small. He was in between, you know, what you would consider a, a safety and a linebacker size, but he could hit. I mean, he could, he could yeah, run. 11
0: was his rookie year.
2: Yeah. And he had, um, he had injuries too. He had a groin injury at something else, but the plays that he made specifically in that San Francisco game stick out to me because that was a guy all year long who was in my ear, you know, what about this? What about that? Like, what, what are we doing here? What and I saw a maturation and a growth in him as an individual that for me as a player, like as an older player, is was like, Oh, wow. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, you feel a sense of pride when, you know, people, younger guys in your group are doing well, that was, you know um, we had a lot of young guys who, who stepped up, <laughs> Uh, during that playoff run. So that that's kind of what sticks out in my mind, the most individual games. It was cold. <laughs> I, remember <that. laughs> I remember how cold it was. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of, you know, you always try to be a tough guy. You go out there. Know you grew stuff. up in Indianapolis. Come on. I live in Florida now for a reason. But I've been trying to get south my entire life. Uh, you know, I, was, I grew up in Indianapolis, went to Boston College and then ended up in New York. And I said, you know, when I get a chance to pick, I'm coming down. I'm sitting here drinking a hot coffee right now and it's 65 degrees and I think it's cold. So <laughs> that tells you where, uh, where I was. But no. Nah, um, so, yeah, the thing that sticks out the most was the uh, the maturation of the, the younger guys, them being able to buy in and. And um and to come in and do what was asked, so like, we asked people to do some ridiculous stuff. I mean, people see JPP out there right now dropping into coverage and 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 intercepting. Mean, How he has two picks on the season this year, yeah, I mean,
0: which is incredible, like, especially given his story, man. That guy is something.
2: Is is it's unbelievable. And I think a lot of that, um, you know, started when we were with the Giants. You know, a lot of that understanding of you know this is just this is just what you do. You know, the Patriots had a number of guys, and I remember. Um, uh, who was it? Was it Brian Flores? I think he, he may have been the one who told me, he's like, the expectation is for the position, not for the player. So we expect this position to perform at this level. And if you can do it, you do it. If you can't, you can't. And that's, you know, that's, um, that was something that I think, you know, was brought around to the Giants around that time too. And you can still see it, you know, lingering, you know, in these players who who are still playing like JPP.
0: Yeah. Well, it's JPP, man. What, what was, what was that like? I mean, you're, you're one of the mentors. JPP comes in. He's a different, he's a different cat. He's Not, not in a bad way. Like he's just, he's his own guy, you know, like he beats to his own drum in a way. <laughs> what was that like for you guys? I know Justin Tuck over the years, he, he always used to laugh at, at some of the things he used to have to tell JPP. So he comes in right that year. He's a, he's a beast, obviously. Uh, what was that like for you guys to work with him? And to, you know, try and mold him and, and get him to, uh, you know, buy into the ways of, you know, Tom Coughlin and, and that, those Giants teams. He, he was,
2: it was, it wasn't difficult to get him to buy in. Um, the difficult part was getting him caught up, getting him up to speed. Now, he obviously had the, um, the ability, he still has the ability to learn and to understand it. But he had a limited amount of football experience coming into the NFL. He's right. a physical he still is. He, you know, probably will always be. Um, he does push himself. He works hard. He's, you know, he's not one of those guys who just, you know, happened by happenstance is is good at football. He he really works his ass off to be to be good. He's one of those guys. But he came in very limited in his knowledge. He sat right next to me in the in the, in the meeting room, in the back of the meeting room, and you know he'd pick my brain, he'd ask me questions and and whatnot. But we were we were a group. You know, when I left the room to go to the linebacker room and I came back and asked him, hey, what did we go over? What happened? To that? Like he had an answer for me. So we you know, he helped me out a lot, even as a as a younger guy back then. But yeah, it was um, there were there were some some basic fundamentals to football, not necessarily playing as much as the terminology, the language, you know, uh, what technique is what, you know, those kind of things that he had to up on it. Yeah. The stories are hilarious. I'm not about, I'm not about putting people's business out there, but let's just say he, he started off, um, you know, from, from the, not the basics, but he started off from, a um, a point where he needed a lot of assistance, but, you know, he quickly, he quickly took off, you know, his physical gifts and his ability to, to learn and his desire to, to be the best. I mean, you can't, you can't do it at that level for so long if you're not 100% focused on, on what it is you're supposed to be doing. Um, and he, he's one of those guys. And he's just, he's a good dude. He's an all-around good guy. Yeah, I watched the interview he did just last week or this week, and he's he's Yeah,
0: talking. your boy Osi's dominating the stage, man. I know you're not surprised by that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> not at all. That's, that's, that's Osi, though. You know, he's always, there's no moment too big for Osi. You know, and and uh, but that's he was, why he
0: was running the kangaroo court. <laughs> you know that. Come on, he's not the but guy who's gonna sit in the back of that, you know.
2: No, 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 you can't ask him, you cannot lead from the back, you gotta lead from the front,
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, take me through what you remember from that 07 Super Bowl. You start off, you get the safety on Tom, I mean, oh, the 11 Super Bowl, sorry, you get the safety on Brady. You guys really, you know, gave him hell that game.
2: Yeah, it was, it was the same concept. You know, we just need to hit them. You know, that's, that's the, that was the game
0: in there. That was the goal. What's
2: that? That's
0: <laughs> it, said we, easier said than done, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all we need. You know, Just, just you know, throw a jersey on when you get out there. No, nah, it was, it was, it was really about fundamentals and, and hitting the quarterback uh, hits are cumulative. I can't remember which coach said that to me first, but you know, you you have to understand that during the course of the game, if you hit somebody enough, it's going to alter what it is they're they're trying to do, as well as how well they can do it. So, you know, we we wanted to go into that game, um, you know, with that same mindset of just just hit him, you know, hit him who him hit him. <laughs> him who's in front of you, hit him like that's that's who you're hitting, you know, and and uh, and I think we did that, you know, and we were um, fortunate enough to play under a staff that had you know they spent an unbelievable amount of time in that film room. There were X's and O's drawn up on every scrap of paper in that building and and everybody understood the different uh permutations of, of what could happen. And when you have that kind of knowledge on the sidelines and you go out there and you play well and you execute, that's, you know, good things happen.
0: Yeah. Hey, good things did happen. You guys obviously win again. Justin Tuck, man, both those Super Bowls. Totally um, almost like underrated. Like cause he didn't MVP get caliber. the MVP, right? Wait, would, you, yeah. would you say that again?
2: MVP caliber play. Yeah, um, you know he he could have won
0: the MVP. Seriously, realistically, if it didn't go yeah. to the quarterback every single time in both those games,
2: absolutely. There, there's there's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, I don't I don't know that he was necessarily a snub just because there was tremendous play on the other side of the ball. I know it always usually goes to the, you know, to the quarterback, but there's, let's be honest, there's a reason why the quarterback touches the ball every single play. Like that is a very important position. And as, oh, for sure. as as he goes, so go the Giants, you know, so um, I understand that, but from a defensive player from team D line, from team linebacker, that man played his heart out. And if they'd have given it to him, we all would have been, um, you know, happy cheering him on. So, um, you know, that just that's that's uh, you know characteristic of of how much work time and effort you know everybody put in especially him.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it wasn't just Michael Bowley had ten tackles in that game. Uh, Kenny Phillips, uh, Michael
2: Bowley—that's another one. Yeah, that's another great name. That's a, that's a good friend of mine too. That's a guy who has a um, tremendous understanding of defense in general. I used to say, like, if you're not coaching when you get out of here, like you you're going to be wasting some you know a lot of talent. Um, just because he had a. A, a, a true feel and understanding of the game within the game, you know, he could, uh-huh. he could do prior to the snap, him and Antonio Pierce were on, on that same day. And they could tell you prior to the snap, you know, what to expect and you could believe them. You could trust them. They weren't just yeah. saying, Oh, it's a screen and draw down. Like, okay, everybody knows to scream out screen and draw. I'm talking about when Antonio Pierce or Mike Bowley tap you on your hip and they say, Hey, take that B gap. You don't ask any questions. You take the B gap and you get a sack. Like, that's just that's, <laughs> right. What it is, you know, he saw something. I trusted him, and I and I'll take it. We'll go to the sidelines, and if we didn't get the play, why why did you do that, um Bolio The said, ironic
0: part is they had such trouble filling that spot after that for like an extended period of time. The the team, you know, from like you know, the 12-13 thir- season on, that was actually that was actually a big a big void for a while. Like you, you, they were shuffling guys in and out, you know, and mm-hmm. then John Beeson came in for a year or two, and it, it was just until
2: oh, yeah. they, till
0: they finally. Close. Seems to have got it right now with, with Blake Martinez. But, yeah, that was it, – it. it's an underrated position on those Giants teams. that You always had that veteran guy filled.
2: It's very underrated. If you're the quarterback of the defense, you're asked to make calls and make checks. I think the relationship between a defensive coordinator and his signal caller or his middle linebacker, that is of tremendous importance. And I don't think enough people put – um uh, that level of importance on it. Spagnolo has been able to recreate um, success for a number of reasons, you know, and one of those is his ability to understand, um, his ability to communicate and to convey information. Anybody can get up and talk, you know, and a lot right. of people have the knowledge of football. Anybody can get up in front of a meeting room and start spitting off statistics and and put you, you know, tell you where you're supposed to be on what play. It's a different, um, it takes a different type of person to be able to convey the right information to everybody in a way that they can receive it and understand it, you know? And um, you know, Spags was able to do that with Antonio Pierce, with Michael Boley, with Dion Grant, like all the guys who played um, and called the signals while I was there. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we just, we appreciated it.
0: So, so where the those, where are those rings now? Where, where do you, where, where, where are they at? You okay. have them in a safe? Well, uh, you wear, um, do you wear yeah. them? Do you, do you ever uh, pull it out? One-
2: the first one's in a safe deposit box. The other one I keep with me in my safe, and that's the one that I, the one that I bring out. So if you see me with the ring, it, it's usually or it almost always is the eleven ring, um, yeah,
0: which is understandable. I mean, I, I think most people can can get that from you.
2: I saw I saw Snee at a BC function. He had both rings on. I, just remember, I just remember thinking like, "Wow, like that's what it looks like." But like, you know, he he worked for it. He earned it. Um, for me, it's like you know, you know, if you if you have a Super Bowl ring on, it doesn't matter where you are. It's gonna attract enough attention. You know.
0: Yeah, I, I think I told the story recently. I was uh, my buddy was out, and he's like, I bumped into Stephen Baker from the you know the the older Giants teams, from mm-hmm. the, the the previous Super Bowl team. Uh, And I'm like, oh, how did you? You know, Steven Baker's not a big guy. He was a, he was a smaller receiver. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, how did you notice it was Stephen Baker? Like, you recognize what Steven Baker's face looks like? These days? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. He was wearing the ring. When a guy walks <laughs> around in the ring, you know who? You know, you know that's not a normal ring. <laughs> yeah. You know, guys just uh, just walk around with rings like that. Like, you know, if if he played high school football or whatever. <laughs> so he's mm-hmm. like, I, I, and we figured out right away it was Stephen Baker. So yeah, <laughs> you wear that thing. You're asking for people to come up to you and say, wow, hey, can I take a picture with you in the ring or whatever?
2: Yeah. No, I like, I like to, to bring it, you know, when I'm going to talk to kids, not kids, but like young adults, like teenagers, like that kind of thing, because. Oh, for sure. That gets their attention. You know what I mean? It's like, OK, who's this old guy? Oh, he's coming here trying to tell us about, you know, working hard, eating right. Da, 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 da. Yeah, you show him that ring. It's like, oh, yeah.
0: it's a plot it's- at the end of the rainbow, right? OK, you, yeah. you do it. Here's what you can get.
2: Exactly. So it's a motivational thing
0: for me. All right. So let's wrap it up. We'll we'll, we'll do it. We'll play a little game here, right? We'll call it call to the hall because these are, you will, they're basically hall of famers, right? Because they're hall of famers somewhere. Tom Coughlin, Eli Manning, Justin Tuck. I'm sure they're all in some sort of hall of fame. Eli mm-hmm. will be in the real hall of fame at some point, uh, pro football. And I'm sure Tom Coughlin's in the Syracuse hall of fame, should be a candidate for the pro football hall of fame too. And Justin Tuck ring of honor guy. So these three guys, right? Keep three of the key pieces on those Super Bowl teams you're on, both of them. So if you had to pick a business partner between the three, T C, Eli, or Tuck, who are you going with?
2: It depends. What's my goal? Am I trying to make as most money as I possibly can? Am I trying to enjoy <laughs> the process? Or or what? Because
0: you're you're in charge. You're in charge. You you have to pick. You have to you have to you know weigh those uh, options. Of what's most I'm, important I'm, uh,
2: to you? I'm I'm gonna go with Tuck to be honest with you. He's he's very Tuck. smart. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean we were, he went to Notre Dame, I went to Boston College, yada yada yada, but whatever. Um but no, I think I think that he would bring um enough to the table knowledge wise. He would also keep it fun and keep it light. It's hard. It was hard to to go with him over Coughlin because if you're with Coughlin, you know you're gonna you're gonna get it.
0: <laughs> what, you're gonna be successful. You're gonna be successful.
2: You're going to be successful or the sky is going to fall on your head. Like, you know, and it's it's um that that is something that i that i appreciate in business people who just get up they get their stuff done there's no complaining and there's full accountability day in day out that's the kind of structure that um that breeds success so i still take tuck but Coffin's a good um good one i didn't spend enough time personally with eli um to 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 judge you know so i'm leaving him out but um you know not because of any other reason other than i was
0: All right, so you got to make a call to the Hall of Famers. You need a fiery speech. You go TC, Eli, or Tuck. I mean, we know we're not going to Eli for that one. We can pretty much eliminate him, right?
2: (laughs) I mean, I love Coughlin's speeches so much. He dropped so many gems in there, and he was inadvertently funny. I was about
0: to say he, he, <laughs> a lot of it, and I because I've had plenty of times where he stands up there and you got to talk to him. It's he, unintentionally funny sometimes, you know.
2: When he, when he was up there doing jumping jacks with a torn hamstring for half a year, I was like, "Dude, just we get it, we get it. Nothing's gonna stop you." I, I <laughs> but I, I also think some of it he knew, like he knew we were chuckling and all that kind of stuff. But you know, that was that was later on in his career where he was, I think he was taking a little bit of um, you know taking some pages from here and there. And trying to relate to players and all this and, that. and it worked. You know, he, he was we were out there. He played music one time. I remember he did a drill where he's like, All right, you guys think it's so. Oh, he played music? What do you mean? I remember I was there. I was there on the field. It, it only lasted for like a week because I think we, we crapped the bed that week, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He tried what the, I thought other, you
0: meant like he was playing music, like Tom no, Coughlin on no. the guitar or something. I'm like, what are you, what, wait, no, hold on a second.
2: No, no, no. <laughs> that would have been front pay. We'd still be talking about that.
0: Tom, Tom Coughlin with the clarinet front of the team. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, last story, he, um, I remember there was something that happened with a punt returner and he was, he, he brought us all together. Like you guys think it's so easy. He lined everybody up and you would call people out one by one. And you know he let the punter, and you had to field the ball. And I remember he called me out, and I was like, you know what? I am not going to criticize a punt returner or a kick returner ever again in my life. That <laughs> thing hangs up there. It starts moving left and right. I've never done it. You don't realize um, how difficult it is. That's something that people have to practice. And I thought I thought that was that was a good way to make your point. You know yeah. you know. You you could talk to us till we're blue in the face, but you put somebody out there, put one of your best players out there and try to get them to, to to do somebody else's job. And you, you make your point right there. So,
0: uh, so obviously you're going for TC. He has the most experience with speeches. I I figured he would be that answer. Who's teaching your kids, TC, Eli, or Justin Tuck.
2: Oh, that's a good one. Um, You know, this one, I'll probably go with Eli round it out. I think
0: Eli's got a lot of kids now too. He does. He's got experience.
2: He's he's got experience. He's a family man. I think his temperament is is right for teaching kids. You know, I have to ground myself or remind myself like they're just six and eight. They're not. <laughs> you know, like
0: like you don't have to tell me. I got a nine and a nine year old girl <laughs> and a one year old. You, you, when you're on that <laughs> sideline, you gotta you gotta pull yourself in sometimes.
2: <laughs> you're in it, yeah, yeah. Daddy needs a break. It's free play. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Media training. Who are you going to? T C. Eli or Tuck? Uh, Tuck was great with the media. Eli, though, man, you can't shake him. TC, you can poke him back.
2: I just saw the other commercial Eli just did. Eli's more, um, it's got to be more planned out and methodical. I think off the cuff, you got to go with Tuck. Coughlin is more, you know, streamlined. You know, you're going to get what you're going to get. Eli. You
0: You could poke Tom, though. You could, you could, you can really get him going. If you, oh yeah, you know, oh yeah. You, you ask him the question once, he has a you know nice calm answer. Yep. Second time, the blood pressure's rising a little yeah. bit. Third, third time, third time, he's finally like, "What you want to say, tell me? He's not playing. Want me to tell you he's not playing? Fine, he's not playing."
2: Well, that that's where it stopped for you. For us, we still had to hear that. Then we keep <laughs> in the meeting room, and he's like, "Yeah." And the media is talking about this. They're doing that. They're saying this. I was like, "You know, you might want to let that go. Not everything is bull. To bull. <laughs> But you know, it is what it is.
0: All right, so last one, ready? Who yep. are you going for, to for relationship advice? TC, Eli, or Tuck?
2: Oh, <laughs> none of the above. How about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go find a, a a nice Zen yoga instructor to uh, to give me some some advice on calling down that way.
0: Uh, there you go. Yeah. Matthias, Kimigo, who, by the way, is the CEO of Wandering Wines, which uh, sounds very uh, interesting. Tell, tell me a little about your wine business. I mean, and how do you get into the wine business post playing career?
2: Uh, opportunities present themselves. And um, I like to have a number of, of projects going at one time. But this was a, a passion, traveling around the world already and, and ch- enjoying wine with with close personal friends. I think for me... Um, anytime I'm with somebody and they're a master at their craft, whether that's football or if it's wine or if it's you know athletics in general, whatever it is, when somebody sits there and they talk for 30, 45 minutes and then they look back and they say, Oh, I'm sorry, you know, like I'm like, no, don't apologize. Like that that is valuable to me at this point. That's where you're learning the most. And I got that from a lot of winemakers. There's just this attention to detail and this passion and love for their craft. I think it, it drew me in as a, um, as a former athlete, listening to somebody, let multiple people talk that passionately about it. And then, you know, were just- you
0: a wine connoisseur? Were you big into wines beforehand now?
2: Not so much. I was getting into it. Um, you know, I was, I would be honest, I couldn't afford it before I started playing. So, <laughs> um, so I was getting into it as I was playing and, um, it just became, um, a point of, you know, instead of, you know, Going out and you know drinking tequila or doing that kind of stuff. I'd I'd rather just sit, you know, in a quiet environment, have a conversation with a a smaller group of people, and and enjoy some wine. And um, this opportunity came along, and you know I I ran with it, and lo and behold, it's been you know almost a decade, and we travel around the world, we sample wine, we bring it in, and we distribute ourselves down here in South Florida. So everywhere from Key Largo to Jensen Beach you know if you come down capital grill down here in Boca is one of our customers we can sit down have a steak and a glass of wine and and then uh, talk deal. more
0: deal deal you got me sold okay. i'm down there i'll be yeah, there I'm
2: good.
0: <laughs> what kind? Of, give me give me give me a description of uh you know wandering wines like it, do, do you guys specialize in what is it oaky or like i, I don't know what, what are some of the adjectives yeah. that they that they use for yeah.
2: wines what, there's a ton of different things i say you know if you like it drink it as long as it's a decent quality and it's not going to make you um you know have any adverse effects but we have something for everybody so we have you know some entry-level ones we have about 20 to 22 different wines and oh really wow we continue to add wines every year. So we just added some Italian wines. We have some nice California wines that we, that we had brought in for the Super Bowl that was down here last and, um, and they're, and they're doing pretty well. So whatever it is that you're into, I have a bottle of wine that can fit your taste and, you know, we can sit and chop it up and talk about the differences or talk about life. For me, that's, that's the most important thing is at the bottom of the bottle that you, um, that you share, there's some kind of experience. You gain something from sitting with those people and enjoying that bottle of wine. And that's, for me, is more important than what's actually in the bottle.
0: See, that has a, it has like a very good post playing career vibe to it. Wine, you know, because it's very zen type. You know, uh,
2: don't don't get it don't get it twisted. Being a business for yourself is is a beast. You know, especially oh when yeah you're, for sure you're, when you're used to having such structure. You know, to to have those wheels. So the, you know the rain's kind of released all at once. You got to structure yourself. You got to do everything for yourself. I was fortunate. You know, the my business partners were already in business, other successful businesses, so I was able to adopt um, that structure and uh, and to apply it to to this business. But uh, there's a learning curve. I love it. I wanted to do something outside of football to you know for a number of different reasons, and I was able to achieve that. And so this was, um, you know, it it has been a uh, a good second step, second career
0: for me, yeah. I mean, look, that's that's the beauty of it. It keeps that blood flowing right? for you. you yeah. gets that gets that blood pump in the end in business. you get you get keep keeps your mind fresh and keeps yes. you healthy keeps you healthy yeah. you know
2: yes. mentally, yeah. I'm
0: talking mm-hmm. about. so mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us. that was that was a, that was a great conversation. Matthias Kiwanuka, check out his wandering wines. give us give us a place where people could find wandering wines.
2: We're on-premise down here in South Florida. Um, you can go on wanderingwines.com and you can look at our store locator. It hasn't been updated, um, uh, but we focus primarily on restaurants up and down the coast. So, um, like I said, Capital Grill is probably the biggest name that we have, but, you know, any restaurant for Lauderdale, Jensen Beach, West Palm Beach, a lot of the restaurants go in there and request it and we'll uh, we'll get it delivered.
0: Sounds good, man. I will take you up on that offer. Appreciate Matthias Kiwanuka.
1: from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash network. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network.
0: I really enjoyed that interview a lot. That that game was a lot of fun. We'll try we'll try and do some more games like that especially moving on here in the off season where we'll have some have some fun with guys and uh I also I want to get some interesting outside the box kind of interview subjects as we move along in the off season the off season is an opportunity to really uh, think outside the box. And and since this episode is kind of long, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to we'll wrap it up pretty quickly here. What I want to do is give you a quick Jordan on the beat, something uh, Matthias said kind of stuck with me, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, so Jordan on the beat is the part of this podcast where I th- explain to you what it's like to cover the Giants, work for ES- ESPN, cover the NFL in general. And I'm going to tell you, he mentioned something about how because they did it in 2007, right, they were kind of dead and buried at one point, and people thought they you know they couldn't put it together, and then they did. You know, they, I believe what they started 0-2 that year, uh, if I remember correctly. So, and they were able to turn around, get their act together, eventually go on, win the Super Bowl, beat the undefeated Patriots. We all know the story. Now, again, in 2011, uh, what they're, they're struggling late in the year. They win the last two games. They make the playoffs. They go on this great run. They win the Super Bowl. So, it created an atmosphere. So, I come in 2013. So that's two years later, middle of the season. The season was basically over at that point. They were on okay, six. That season was over. So 14, 15, 16, 17. Every year, because they had done that, and Matthias said that worked to their benefit, because they that they had done it in the past and they had overcome early season slow starts. But then as they're moving forward, the team's changing. Team's nowhere near as good. They're not replacing all these, you know, really, really good players. And they they don't have like the OCU manure is Justin Tuck is eventually gone. They don't have the pass rush. You know, they're losing guys left and right. Eli's getting older. His offensive line had, comp- w- w- that was really the last run in 20- 2011. So by 2014, 2015, they start 0-2 every year. And the call from the fans and the media too, the people that had been there forever, was always like, they start 0-2. Well, they did start at 0-2 in 2007. We're able to turn around. And I kept thinking to myself, that was just like the default like the line of thinking for everybody. Every time they sucked early in the season, like, Oh, we stink. Well, they, they sunk early in 2007 so they could do it again. No, by 14, 15, 16, they had a good year. Uh, but 17. No, this, these weren't those teams. It didn't matter if they started 0 2; they weren't going to turn it around. They weren't going to win the super bowl. They were nowhere near good enough. They didn't have all those great players that they had in the past. The great young, younger Justin Tuck wasn't there anymore. Uh, O.C. Umanura wasn't there anymore. Michael Strahan wasn't there anymore. <laughs> Their offensive All those offensive linemen, they were all gone. Snee left in what, 13, 14, somewhere around? 14, I believe it was. 14, 15, whatever it was. So those teams were gone. Yes, you could do it. They were a good team from like what Eli was drafted in 2004. So they were decent in four. So from like 2005 to 2012, They were at the very worst, an average team, right? I think in 12, what'd they go? Eight and eight, nine and seven. They might even got nine and seven. So from that point, they were always good, pretty good. They weren't a bad team at that point. Once they started dipping down, it wasn't just going to magically spike back up because they weren't good. But that was always the default way of thinking. So it's kind of interesting when you hear Kiwanuka say that because that paid dividends in 11 when they were basically dead and buried because they had done it in seven. But because they did it in 7-11, didn't mean they were going to do it in 13. Didn't mean they were going to do it in 14. Didn't mean they were going to do it in 15, 17, 18, 19, 20. I mean, those days are gone. Now we're about a a decade removed, which is kind of crazy from uh, the Giants' last Super Bowl season. It's getting further and further away right now. This organization obviously is in a way, way different position. So we're going to wrap it up there. I'm taking the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. You know why? I don't bet against Patrick Mahomes. Nope, nope, nope. I know Tom Brady's on the other side. You tell me this is a 28-year-old Tom Brady, 32-year-old Tom Brady, 34-year-old Tom Brady, 43-year-old Tom Brady is still pretty darn good. But he's not the best quarterback in the league. He's not playing at the level he did in 2007 when he was pretty much at the top of – when I, I believe that was his best season, uh, my opinion, when he was at the top of his game. So give me the best quarterback – Patrick Mahomes even though I believe the overall roster on the Bucks is better 33-31 Chiefs and with that that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue as always feel free to provide me feedback, comments, Facebook Instagram, email Twitter, TikTok you can find me all those places I'm your host Jordan Ronan ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com Giants reporter, see you next time